Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. Today, I'm here with Yemi, too. What's up? So, also, shout out Twitter for connecting us. And if you want to see any other artists, just like tweet at both of us and maybe something will happen yes but so the first show i think i actually saw you was in boston in 2011 okay <laughs> and then i think i don't know it was just like too crazy and like the decks flipped or something i don't know if you remember that oh show. i do of course of yeah course. that was that was infamous man yeah <laughs> i realized i like looked it up on youtube and there was a video with like 133,000. i'm like wow yeah. this is like a Pretty big night and realized. Yeah, well, it, what was interesting about that is in the moment we were like, oh no, like it's a catastrophe, but I thought it was so cool. In actuality, <laughs> like, too crazy. In, in actuality, it kind of like blew us up a little bit. Like it was like <laughs> just like some some controversy because everyone was like, oh, you're not real DJs because we were using Ableton and not like you know CDJs or 1200s or whatever. And uh, and some people were like, you're not real DJs, and it started this whole debate. And yeah, it got us some exposure. Yeah. That's awesome you were at that show though. That <laughs> and fun. then a few years after I was at the Sydney one, and that one was like, your branding and like production was like such a big level. I was like kind of like emotional seeing from like the Boston to like the Sydney stage. I was like, oh, this is the, so cool. The, the growth for sure. Yeah. yeah well, the reason that table fell over in Boston was because it was up on cinder blocks. <laughs> Like that was just yeah. like as sketch as it could possibly get. <laughs> which which Sydney show was it? Was it at Metro Theater or Yeah. Yeah. That was a good yeah. one. Yeah, that was Huge. a good one for sure. So you were born in Chicago? I was yeah, I was born in the south suburbs of Chicago, so like an hour outside of the city. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and I've lived in Chicago for like seventeen years. Oh wow. Yeah. And your parents are from there as well? Yeah, yeah. My my parents are from there, but my mom lives in Denver, so shout out. Kathy Young, or Kathy O'Sullivan, <laughs> she, uh, she, it's kind of tight, my mom comes to like all my shows in Denver, so like oh, the wow. fans, the hoodie boys and hoodie girls and fans, they know who she is, so shout oh out, God. shout out Kathy, and, um, and yeah, my dad's a truck driver, so he's like a nomad like me, he's all over the oh. place. Yeah. What does your mom do, what did she do? What did she do? Yeah. Um, <laughs> nothing exciting, she did, <laughs> like, she worked for an insurance company, like, adjudicating claims but um for like her passions and stuff she loves gardening and she loves like knitting oh. she loves knitting so like Lex and Ryder my sons have plenty of like blankets from, na- from Nana <laughs> so cute yeah. but then from a young age they already played a lot of music around you right yeah yeah they definitely did they were really supportive of uh of like the arts and, and music and so our house was always full of pop music we had tons and tons of like they love Paul Simon, they love Madonna, they love Prince, like all that. So when we would be on road trips, we're just like kicking it around, there was always, always music playing. And your sister showed you a lot of music, right? Like Tribe Called Quest, stuff like that. Yeah, she oh, yeah, she put me onto everything cool. My, my sister's four years older than me, so like, she just put me on to like, she, when she left for college, basically, she like put me on to all the stuff that basically got me into DJing in the capacity that I'm in. She introduced me to too many DJs um, who are who became Soul Wax and like just like were doing mashups on a different level and like this was 2002 probably 2001 um, maybe even 2000 and uh, and so she just like put me on to stuff that helped me discover a party style of music 
that was outside of scratching because I was like really deep into turntablism and scratching, but this showed me like how to like play fun party music and like throwbacks and that's the foundation even now of like what I do. Mm -hmm. yeah. How do you describe yourself back then growing up? I was a class clown for sure. <laughs> I was really goofy and uh, I played sports but I wasn't a jock. Like I played baseball um, and I rollerbladed. Shout out the rollerblade community. <laughs> We're still out here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was like Kind of a weirdo, like art kid, but also like athletic. I kind of had a little bit of like like a piece of me in like all the different like pools. Mm, did yeah. you like school? I hated school. I hated high school. <laughs> I was I was always the kid that was like staring out the window, waiting for the class to be over, so I could either go skate or go to my room and like DJ. Did you always realize that you wanted to do something creative with your life? Um, no, actually, I wanted to be a baseball player. Oh, wow. Like, I was, like, in high school baseball. Like, I was on varsity when I was a freshman. Like, I was really into it and really serious about it. So I always thought I was going to be a professional baseball player until I fell out of love with it. And, um, and music is just something that kind of, like, happened. My sister, actually, is, like, the more musical of, of us. She, like took piano lessons and was in choir and was in like um like musical theater and stuff growing up I was always just like into sports and I liked music I had like good taste in music but I never imagined myself being in the industry um but I fell in love with DJing I thought DJing was really cool and scratching was really cool and so I learned how to do it from that and yeah it just took off from there mm -hmm. how did you did how where was her like career at by that point, like, was she, were you still in school when her career started taking off? Or, like, how was it between you two? No, our, her career, her career popped off, like, after I started working in the industry. So, like, um, me and Chris started Flostradamus, started doing a party in Chicago that was called Get Out the Hood, which is, like, a really small little, like, dirty dance party. It was that era of those kind of things, like the Dim Mock sort of era. And, um, well, she was your MC, right? Right. So she would come and like MC the parties, and she was working on music with this producer, Dreas. Um, sh shout out, Dreas. Uh, and was like performing her songs at our shows, and that was it. And like, she just happened to come along at a time where there was this sort of renaissance in the party scene in Chicago where everything had moved to the clubs and gotten stale. And the like sort of oldies of like the house and techno world were sort of dying off. And there was a, uh, an opening for something more open to everybody and like open format and exciting. And that was the niche that Flostradamus fit in. And she came along as like the, she was like the spokesperson for that pretty much. She was like the face of that. Um, along with the cool kids and Hollywood Holt and... Um, you know, there was other rappers and other musicians that were coming up in that scene and, and Kanye was like blowing up at that time too. And so like Chicago just had this, just this moment, you know, we were all a part of it. Where was your career at as J2K before you met Kurt? Did you like, were you playing shows and stuff? Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was doing little shows, um, with a, with another DJ group called Life During Wartime and they were like... They were DJs, but they weren't really blending records at this time. They were, it was more like, they called it like indie dance, but it was like LCD sound system and that kind of stuff. And they would just like play a record in its entirety, let it finish and then play another record, almost like a radio DJ. And they let me have an hour before 
like you know people were really getting there when people were just coming in like I opened up for them and I was like doing my thing like my little <laughs> too many DJs like mixing an acapella and like you know like a 50 cent beat or whatever like just like some mashup shit I was playing the bangles and then playing it into like some juke or like Chicago track <laughs> and so I was like doing the the foundation of what ended up becoming Flostradamus sound but just like the very very infancy baby version of it where I didn't really know what I was doing but people were people were interested in it and Kurt became aware of it and I became aware of Kurt because of a, um, a mutual friend that we had and uh, so he came out to my party and saw what I was doing and I went to his party and he was doing a, a DJ night and I saw what he was doing and it just made sense for us to, to link up so so yeah, so I was doing a little thing beforehand, and then, <laughs> but then you know, me and Kurt linked up, and that was uh, that was it. And how old were you when that happened? Like, was it like past high school? Like yeah. when you first met him? I graduated in two thousand two, class of O two. What you gonna do? <laughs> um, this is this whole interview is all shoutouts. <laughs> um, no, but uh, did you go to college or? No, no. So I went to I went to one semester at Columbia. Uh, Columbia College, not university, in Chicago, and uh, it just was really expensive, and like I wasn't a good student, so it wasn't for me. So I was like, "Fuck it!" Like I had an internship at a music venue that I had like fin finessed myself off of some like great crazy roundabout way, and um, and I came to them and I was like, "Yo, I'm gonna drop out of college. Like, will you guys hire me?" And they were like, "Yeah," and uh, you know the company that I was. The venue that I was working at, the company there, the marketing firm was was blowing up at the time, and they needed help. So it just worked out. I got a job in in the business, basically. That was my foot in the door. Um, and so that so once I got that job, then it came after that. So I was probably I was 21 when like Flossardamus started happening. Mm -hmm. And how long were you at that job? You said. Oh, at the venue, I think like uh, yeah. two years, like a year and a half, two years. Mm -hmm. And then some of your first big gigs was at, was it called Town Hall, Town Hall Pub? Town Hall Pub, yeah, yeah. in Chicago. <laughs> Dude. Can you describe those nights? Yeah, man, it was, oh man, it's crazy. It was like a tiny little room, 75 capacity, like club, and we would fit like 300 people in a room that that's legally supposed to hold 75. <laughs> so just imagine that like level of like closeness. <clears throat> it sounds like a nightmare to me now, like as a grown ass man, like <laughs> it sounds like, <laughs> it gives me anxiety thinking about being in that space. But at that age, I felt like a fucking rock star and the kids there were having such a good time and such an amazing like experience. It blew up, man. Like it, it, it changed the music scene. It changed the dance music scene in Chicago, and was like a, a what, what do they call it? Like a, a launching point for a lot of different artists and DJs' careers. So it was cool. And we had Diplo like come through. A track came through. Steve Aoki was there. Like it became like the thing that if you're in Chicago, you and it's the same time you do it. You know. How did you first meet those guys? Um, A track I met at a, a venue called Sonotech. There's a publicity firm that's started in Chicago. They're based out of here now called Biz3. And at the time they were doing these nights where they would have like two people DJ, on two people from their roster like DJ together, go back to back or like DJ the same night. And it would always be like someone from the like indie rock world and then like someone from the DJ world or someone from the rap world and someone from the indie world. It was really dope. Um, 
and A-Track was on one. I forget who he was with, uh, but I went and, and met him, yeah, mm -hmm. and that was it. But I knew of him from like way before, from like the Scratch DJ days. I was like a fan of his. I had DMC VHSs that I would watch his routines oh, wow. over and over and over and like try and like learn whatever. I still can't do anything that he does. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> what things do you feel like you've learned from being in Floss? Uh, well, I learned that Fuck, I learned a lot of stuff, man. It was, my, it was my entire education in the music business. So I learned, but but the important things I learned that marketing is, is everything. Mm. The music is like, you know, a means of getting people to pay attention to a brand and to subscribe to you as like a, an entity. So people are like, you know, obviously in like post social media culture, like people subscribe to you. They want to see regular content and interaction with you. So the music is just a means of like, giving them a, a personal connection there and then everything else is like is your brand it's what you do with them um and then also you know I, i've learned to embrace failure like i've learned to embrace these things that i deemed as failures in my career or like catastrophes you know we got banned from chicago and i was like oh my god i'm banned in my own city like it was i was like this is, this sucks but then i realized it's like oh no that like actually built up hype that gave people more exposure to you like you're saying with the, the turntables falling off the table and people saying we weren't real i was like oh my god our credibility is in question <laughs> like no one's gonna listen to us and then that was like a, a turning point you know mm -hmm. so i've definitely learned to embrace failure and like be a little more open as to like what I deem a failure or a success. Mm -hmm. Why do you decide to go by Yami Two instead of J2K going back to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because uh, it was a different thing, you know? I felt like J2K was so closely associated with Flostradamus mm -hmm. that I was like, let me just let me just start, if I'm gonna start anew, let me start entirely anew um, versus, you know, like going out but also like keeping some, some part of the brand from, from before. So why? Yeah, me too. Uh, well, I mean, there's there's reasons behind it. Liz actually came up with the name. Oh. Um, and and so like, I just thought I thought it sounded good first off, um, and I like that producer. I like the Pharrell line where he's like, "Yeah, me too." So I use that in all my songs. Um, but I just felt like, in in my experience in the music business, like watching producers and watching different artists, like emulate each other and emulate styles like there's so many people in this business that are technically amazing but like creatively they're not pushing the boundaries they're just doing what everyone else is doing like like a me too like they're like oh yeah oh yeah you do that oh yeah me too oh yeah you do that yeah me too and so i was like all right cool let me just like address it <laughs> and kind of like acknowledge the fact that like it's all just like feeding in like a a, a loop like an inf an infinite loop and um and yeah, and I'll put my place in it, like as as someone who's going to create people that are going to copy my style versus someone that copies other people's styles. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I guess two is just your number. Yeah, two is your number. <laughs> there you go. Mm. And of course, I'll I'll just address this. This was pre the Me Too movement. Oh yeah. So it's definitely something where initially I was just called Me Too. I changed it to Yeah Me Too oh. for copyright reasons, unre unrelated to the the Me Too hashtag. Um, but I'm glad I did because Me Too has obviously become like a really powerful and significant movement that I wouldn't want to like infringe <laughs> upon or like be like trying to like take shine from and be like, 
no, it actually means this. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I just want to say that though, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of that movement. Mm-hmm. And um, and I had a friend ask me, he was like, is it fucked up that you have that like name? And I'm like, no, no. I, and actually, I haven't heard anything about it. Yeah, so at least you have the number, so that helps a bit. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. And what was the decision to start the Steal This Mixtape series? Uh, it just came naturally as like a an outlet for the B Today series. So first, before I decided to drop the songs, I just decided to start putting out a song a day for a month and just see if I could do it. You know, initially it was called Beat a Day Challenge because I was like, can I do it? And now I'm on the third year of it, and so it's not so much as a, as a challenge. I know I can do it. Yeah. Um, it's more... Uh, like an annual holiday. It's like, it's still, <laughs> it's still this mixtape season. It's beat a day season, you know? Like, th- this this June, I, I want to put out a song every single day on my Instagram leading up to dropping a mixtape at the end of the month, Steal This Mixtape 3, and I want to let that inspire other producers to work and to release music. Because there are so many prolific producers that are making crazy amounts of songs and then never releasing them they just stay on the hard drive and like the world will never hear them because it takes something to like have the confidence to put something out of the world and let people judge it mm-hmm. you know I feel like that can be a bit of a scary experience for um, for a lot of artists so I feel like me doing this at this frequency and just saying fuck it like I feel like it inspires you know, the younger generation of producers to be a little bit more free, or even older producers too, like just to be more free and don't overthink it so much. Just mm-hmm. get music out, put it out there for the culture and, uh, and keep it moving. Do you see yourself taking what you learned from branding with Hoodie Nation to do some like logo or more branding for Yami 2? Yeah, I do. I definitely, well, with me with Yami 2 a little bit, Yami 2 is kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's the, the brand itself is like, just me like it's not it's not something like hoodie nation where you know we created a world that this that this lives in this is more just like i'm i'm josh (laughs) i'm a dad i just like like to have fun i live in chicago and i make music and it's just a little it's a little more relaxed but with that being said i have some stuff in the works that's a little bit more yeah it's a little different on on the branding level Mm -hmm. and um is going to be a little bit more involved because I always have my little art projects on the side. So yeah, I got some 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 surprise stuff coming soon. What's the decision to do a lot of uh, like videos of you just like dancing to your own music? I don't feel like I've seen a lot of producers do that, so that's cool. Sure. Um, again, it was just a way of putting the music out there. Uh, I had an Instagram following that you know was reacting to it, and if I if I put beats up even just little previews like of me playing a beat and just being like mm. like <laughs> a people got into it and and again like I'm here I'm here to inspire man beat a day is not gonna win like steal this mixtape is not gonna win a Grammy it's uh, the reason it's called steal this is because like all the samples are uncleared and just like unchecked so I can't put it on Spotify I can't put it on iTunes or Apple music it's really just here for producers um, and like real fans, like serious fans of electronic music and trap to uh, have something to like look forward to and to get excited about. So I like to convey that excitement. I have fun making music. I'm so lucky and fortunate to like have this as my career. <laughs> this like 
this is not this is not a career you know like if you enjoy what you do right like it's you, it's not actually a job and like so I just want to share that energy with people how was the transition like did you already like as soon as you started Yami did you already have like management it came pretty quickly the like decision to leave Flostradamus and then the decision to like rebrand as something else it came organically based off of like releasing those beats you know I, there had been a it had been a period of time that I was, it had been a minute that I was feeling as if I was looking for something new and like a little over what I was doing currently. Um, and then I started to release these beats and seeing people's reaction to them. And I was like, you know what, this is a, this is a good opportunity to, to transition to the next chapter of my life. So I used it as a tool to like transition yeah. out. But how did you get finer management? Oh, how did I feel? Like, was it from people you knew before? Was it like new managers? And then how did you meet like Ultra? Yeah, yeah, right. So I was I was signed to Ultra, um, as I was like while I was part of Flostradamus, um, and so that deal was set up so that if I left Flostradamus, I'm still signed to Ultra, oh. um, and they or at least they have the option to. And so they signed the new project, um, and man, as far as management is concerned, uh, you know, I just I met my manager through uh, through my booking agent. He recommended mm -hmm. him, so yeah, I hired him off that. How did you meet your wife? Uh, we met on MySpace. Oh. She slid in my DMs. <laughs> like, this was before that term existed. This was <laughs> back in the day, pre-Facebook. Um, we were on MySpace, and I used to take photos while I was on tour. Uh, I had a Motorola Sliver, Ooh. which was like the smaller Razor. Yeah. And. Um, I would, it had a camera on it, so I did a series called Picks from My Camera Phone that I would do like once every couple months. I'd like post just like a, a, basically a, a blog or like a Tumblr, it was like Tumblr before Tumblr oh. of like weird shit that I see and like parties and whatever. And, um, and she's a photography major, so she like, she just liked it on some like art shit. Hit me up and I thought she was really cute, so naturally I was just like flirting with her. <laughs> and we started chatting on AIM, on AOL Instant Whoa. Messenger. And we like just like had little crushes on each other, and we would send music and stuff back and forth. And then I finally went on tour to Australia, and we met in person, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, there's some stuff in between, but that's that's the that's the gist. Yeah. What uh, do you love about her personality? Um, I love the fact that she is like a very strong-minded, creative person. Like she is very, she knows what she wants to do. She's sure of herself and she's very confident and she's willing to take risks where I feel like a lot of people are a little bit more guarded or safe. So she's just like, I don't know, she's a really dope and talented artist. And it's crazy because she's like, a lot of people know her mostly for like her Instagram presence, like because she's hot <laughs> and she has really good fashion sense. Like she's got like good style and stuff and people know her from that, but like, She's an artist, man. She's a photography major and like she does creative direction for artists and you know, like styled or like like did like creative for a music video recently and she just like does everything. So I don't know, she's she's my muse. She's so inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when did you realize was the time that you wanted to like be a father and like set aside time for that? I, <laughs> this is like a non-romantic answer, mm -hmm. but it was money. Like I I as a person I always I always saw myself as settling down and like having a family and 
when I met Liz, I knew she was the one, and I knew we were going to do it, you know? And, uh, and at the time, you know, her career and her life was actually a lot less busy than it is now, so, so she had the capacity to do it. And I was just like, you know, I, I grew up pretty poor. Like, I grew up not having a lot, and uh, I always made it like a pact with myself where it's like, I'm not going to have kids unless I can, like, support them financially. And so, you know, things started going well for my career, and first thing I did was buy a house and have some ki- have some kids. <laughs> oh, that's very Midwestern of me. <laughs> what have you learned so far with being a father? Oh my God! Uh, nah, I, dude, I don't know. I could go. I could go on for days <laughs> about that. Patience. Mm. Patience is number one. That's that's. It's just not an option to be a parent without your patience going up. You have to learn to take deep breaths and you know, deal with screaming kids and like this, the ups and downs that come with parenting. You know, we you live your life, especially as like an artist, you live your life focusing on yourself and doing everything to, to benefit you and your art. And when you have kids, you realize that none of that shit fucking matters. Like, you know, you really, you really do have to put somebody else in front of you. And what's cool about that is that when you do that, like there's a lot of growth that comes with learning how to do that. And, uh, and that benefits the art, that benefits your, your life and your, just yourself, so, yeah. What are the parent, uh, personalities of them like? Um, Lex is more emotional. He's, like, he's definitely the artistic one of the two. Um, Ryder, who's the youngest one, or the younger, he, uh, he's a brute, man. He's like a year and a half of pure, like, beef. And, uh, and he's really, like, strong. So we think he's going to be the more athletic one. He likes to grab my beard and, like, pull it off. So I think he's going to be the goofy, like, jock, and Lex is going to be, like, the brooding artist. Mm-hmm. How do you think your music has changed since the early songs you made when you were younger? You know, it's funny. It's changed in like in that I've like technically gotten better. You know, I know how to make my my music sound a lot better. I've learned like produ- production like tips and different tools. But at the very core of it, it's I'm still the same dude. I'm still making mashups. And like <laughs> I've always been doing that. I've always been trying to take something found. You know, like a, a song that is so common to you or so known to you. You could remember the melody, you could remember all the lyrics or whatever. And I take that and I just like deconstruct it and flip it on its head. Um, that's, that's like my favorite thing is to take something where you know it and make it like completely unrecognizable and like hard in a way that you didn't think, you know, a Beach Boys song could be or something <laughs> like that. Or Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what would you say have been your biggest challenges so far? Uh, biggest challenges are I'm, I'm releasing music like bootleg music that doesn't have a home anymore soundcloud is basically dead Mm. uh, especially as far as bootlegs are concerned because they take so much of it down Um, and then none of that music that's uncleared can go on spotify or can go on itunes or apple music so the the landscape for releasing music is originals you have to put out original music um, that is you know, sample free, and yeah, I just, I just, that's just not how I produce, and it's not even like I can't 
make original music. It's more that, like, as an artist, the the art the medium that I use is like using music like a collage, cutting up bits and pieces of it and rearranging it and making it my own. Um, and so, so that's been that's been hard for me is is basically finding my place uh, in like the new age of music consumption because um, I refuse to like. I don't know, just like, I don't know, there's so much of the music out now from like trap and bass artists and whatever is just like, it's the same shit, it is straight up every time, cold nights, a summer dream, and then fucking like, and I'm just like, yo, it doesn't like, it's every single time it's like some shitty top line and then some drop that has nothing to do with it, and of course there's like, there are producers that are fucking cutting through like that, there's definitely like pop pop trap producers like Snake, fucking Boombox, like these dudes are like doing a really good job with it, but it's so much of it that I just like, if I was to try and make it, I would just fall under the shuffle of mm. completely average artists. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's a, that's a challenge for me mm-hmm. for sure, it's finding my place. Last question, what do you want to be remembered for? Uh, I want to be remembered as a humble dude who pushed the needle forward. You know, I feel like when Original Dawn dropped, it changed EDM, it changed electronic music. It had an impact on culture. And that's all I strive to do, is continue to push culture and, you know, have people look back at me and say, hey, when everyone was making this and like following these trends, this dude was over here trying, even if he was failing, trying to push the the genres and the culture forward. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Of course. Bye, guys. See you.